Welcome to the Third Church Podcast. I'm Corey Widmer, the lead pastor here at Third, and we're trying something a little new. This is a series in our podcast that we're calling Audio Appendix. Occasionally, a theme or an issue will come up, uh, especially on a Sunday during worship or sermon, that we really feel like um, warrants a deeper dive, um, where we could look at a subject and go a lot more thoroughly into it, and especially have a conversation with someone who, in some ways, whether someone in our church or someone in our city or world who has really done a lot of thinking, a lot of practicing uh, when it comes to a particular subject or issue. So this is our first in the series of uh, audio appendix, and this week we're looking at the issue of time and habit. We're in a sermon series right now on giving, and this past Sunday we looked at the issue of giving our time and talked a lot about how, as Americans, we often have a really conflicted relationship with time in which, on the one hand, we feel uh, profoundly in control of our time, but on the other hand, we feel profoundly out of control when it comes to our time. And we looked at what the Bible uh, has to say about what it means to spend our time wisely, to live a wise life uh, with our habits, and also even what it means to waste time um, in, in, a, in a Christ-like way. So today, I'm really excited to uh, have a conversation with my friend Justin Early. Justin is a member of Third. Uh, he's a lawyer at a law firm in town. And Justin is a person who has wrestled for many years with this issue of time and has sought to rethink his entire life around a new set of habits um, that you'll get to hear about in just a moment. So I want to say welcome to Justin. Hi, Justin. Hey, Corey. It's so great to have you here. Thank you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your relationship with time, um, and especially about your conflicted relationship with time, and what got you thinking so hard about what it would mean to live healthier? Absolutely. So I think I have wrestled with time my whole life. Um, I don't think I knew it at the time, but even as I, I think back to as I was a high schooler, um, I was a very lazy person in some ways, very uh, carefree person. I like to throw off engagements, not show up at meetings. I was uh, chronically late to classes in college and in, in many ways slothful. And I think I, I look back on that uh, age of my life and I think that it was a, there was something going on there. I always wanted to be free of time. I didn't like to have my life scheduled for me. I wanted to be spontaneous. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Um, <clears throat> and then my life... Um, drastically changed as I changed from uh, being a college student to being a missionary in China where <clears throat> I uh, began to have a, a call and something I really wanted to do. And uh, in that phase of my life, I started working very, very hard. Um, I started managing my time very carefully. And uh, I was even, I started to do strange things like keeping track of my time and, and uh, putting enormous hours in, into work and getting very scheduled. And I, I look back on both of those times and they both caused real problems in my life. Um, and I see both of them now as ways that I was trying to possess time mm. for me in college and high school. It was a, I want to do what I want to do. Um, so don't schedule my life for me. And then I think as I moved into being a, a, a missionary with a, with a really specific mission, it was, well, I, I got to do this and I'm going to do this. And uh, so both the scheduled life and the unscheduled life for me were both ways to possess time. And that always caused problems for me. Hmm. So what got you to the place of 
recognizing that this was a problem <laughs> and that you wanted to do something about it. Um, as is often the case, crisis. Hmm. Um, it started to show up in China as I, um, I scheduled my time so harshly to be up very early in the morning studying Chinese and then studying the scriptures and then doing my job and <clears throat> be up late at night talking to students. Um, I started to have periodic health problems. Um, and then I, you know, I sort of realized I was pushing myself too much. But I didn't think hard about um, what it means to be you know, pushing your whole person too much. I would take time, time off, and then I would start to rest and try to get better if a doctor told me you really need to get more sleep. Um, it was after I went to law school and transitioned to becoming a lawyer here in town in Richmond that I really hit my first major wall on this issue. I was um, transitioning from law school to being a lawyer here in Richmond, and uh, a lot of things were going on. I just had my second son. I had just moved down to Richmond. I had just passed the bar exam, just started a new demanding job. And I was doing what I usually do now, push myself really hard, schedule everything really tightly. Um, I was busy. I was mm -hmm. busy, and that's the mark of an important person now in our culture. And, and I crashed. I, I w went one night, uh, to make a long story short, I woke up in the middle of the night with existential fear about what I did not know. And uh, it happened again the next night and again the next night until I entered a phase where I wasn't sleeping and I was having to cope with medication and substances in order to sleep. And uh, my life became so out of control during that time, and it was a very scary time for me, that I, I, that was the season for me that made me realize the fundamental truth that has now birthed a lot of fruit, and that is that I am not in control of my time. I do not possess it. Um, and if I try to, uh, bad things happen both to the body and soul. Hmm. So what did you do? I mean, when you were, found yourself in this crisis <laughs> and you recognized that you were living the consequences of your distorted understanding of time and your possession of it, uh, what did you do to address that? How did you choose yeah. to live differently? Um, well, well, first of all, it was a very long road. So, you know, I had, I think, what people now call you know, anxiety crash or panic attacks, nervous breakdown. I think it's important anytime I talk about this to make sure people understand, like, there was no quick fix. Um, there was no easy solution. Um, but there was a long fix, and there was a hard solution. And the first part of that was inviting um, other people closely into my life. I would sort of talk to my friends and uh, my wife, Lauren, obviously, who was there bearing this whole crisis with me, uh, very carefully about what was going on in my life, very honestly about what was happening in my life and how it was falling apart, and tried to get them to give input. And a lot of the input was, um, you believe that you can do more than a human can do. You were trying to live without limits. I was trying to be God, yeah. yeah. And um, having them, uh, first of all, just be there to hear that and be there to speak with me was an amazing part of telling the truth. I mean, I think any talk about time doesn't first involve getting the right categories or scheduling. It involves telling the truth about who we are, who God is, and how time is m mediated between us, but differently for God and for us. So that was really important. Other people in my life were so important. And um, the, the second thing that happened because of those other people and because of the crisis was they helped me develop a, a rhythm, a set of habits uh, for my life that sort of were governors or guardrails, if you will, on what I could and couldn't do. It was very childlike. It was like getting a parent again, which I desperately needed <laughs> to tell me when to go to bed, when to wake up, or um, when to work and when to not work. And... Uh, <clears throat> It was um, about a year of trying to live according to a very specific routine of habits for health that two things happened. First, I realized this, that was better than any medication 
personally, and I'm not down on medication at all, but personally it was better than any medication I ever tried. It was better than any counseling I'd ever had. Um, I, I, tr- I started like I felt to become human again because of limitations. And um, secondly, I, I found myself, I was a missionary in China, like I said, for five years, and now as a corporate lawyer with these new governing habits, I found myself closer personally to the Lord and my community than I think I ever had been. Um, that was remarkable to me. I never, I never thought that the way that I was ordering my schedule was p- potentially a barrier to my intimacy with the Lord, and it was. Mm. And when I found His presence so closely, I thought, I'm, not, I'm never changing this. I like these limitations. Mm. It's so interesting what you're saying because, especially as Americans, we don't like limitations. Uh, we think of restrictions and limitations as something negative. I mean, even from the very time we're young, we hear you can do anything, you can be anything, yeah. you can accomplish anything. But it, what it sounds like you're saying is that you actually experienced liberation and freedom through <clears throat> self-imposed limitations by accepting your limitations <laughs> and learning to live within them. Absolutely. How, uh, why, uh, how does that work? Why, yeah, why, do you, why do you think that happened? Great question. I've yeah. thought a lot about this ever since. And and I, th- I think there there's a, a heresy of America, and it has to do with the word freedom. Um, I, I remember playing in the backyard as a kid, and, you know, somebody broke the rules in a game or did something I didn't like. They would say, hey, it's a free country. And even then I knew that that doesn't make sense to me. But yet I grew up, and I think we all do, indoctrinated with this idea that, that freedom means we can do what we want and that um, if we can do what we want, if we're free, we'll finally be happy. Um, I did not realize the extent to which that is a spiritual heresy. Uh, I, I now, this is through the help of reading and talking to a lot of other people. It's not my idea, but I, I now strongly believe that freedom does not come from doing whatever we want. It comes from doing what we were made for. Uh, the good life doesn't come from breaking out of all limitations, but it comes from finding the right limitations. And so I, I think um, the consequences of finding the right God-given limitations for what it means to be a human being and live well, and that involves um, patterns of sleep and work and rest and uh, habits of technology and what, what you watch and how much you watch it, what you don't, all these things are involved. But finding the right limitations is the most freeing thing that you can do. Um, living according to what you want is the most enslaving thing that you can do. And, and so in a beautiful, ironic to us, maybe not ironic to God, in, a, in a, this beautiful way, limitations are the road to freedom. You just got to find the right ones, and, mm. and the Bible has some ideas on that. So help us get practical about this. You're a corporate lawyer. You don't have the easiest job. You work tremendous hours. Um, and yet somehow it seems like you're able to practice this uh, sanity, this this order of ordering your life around sane limitations um, in a way that is life-bringing to you. Um, can you just give us like a window into a day or a week? And what are some of these limitations or these habits that you've instituted in your life that yeah. has helped bring freedom to you? Absolutely. I would only preface with the idea that uh, I, I am a, a corporate lawyer and we come with a certain kind of reputation for better or for worse. I, I strongly believe, because I live with my wife and I watch her work, um, we, we have a reputation for, for busyness, but 
many of us live with jobs that are extremely demanding. And I think of stay-at-home moms, for example, or pastors like yourself. We people understood how much you guys are asked to do or a, a, a mom is asked to do or a working mom is asked to do. Um, so I think these are very relevant to so many of us who's, who's, frankly, their job asks a lot of them, often inhuman things of them. My job is one of many. Um, so, yeah, in, in my job, I, I quickly found um, in the culture of corporate lawyering that uh, the idea of being in a perpetual rush and being always attentive to your phone and always attentive to the next email um, were part of what was expected of you. And when I realized that these things were actually causing spiritual problems, I, I started to think, how am I going to do this without, while still doing good work, right? And, and kind of here's an example of what was going on. Um, I would wake up in the morning, and first thing in the morning, I would feel like I got to check my email and see what I missed. Um, and something deep in the heart is going on there. Something deep in the heart was going on there where I was saying, you know, what is going to happen today is fundamentally defined by who I am at work today and whether I'm, you know, I think of it now as justifying my existence through my job. But just making the right person happy at work was very important to me, and that had to do with an instant response all the time. Um, and another one was, uh, you know, constantly uh, checking for messages throughout the workday, which was interesting because it actually began to interfere with what it meant to do good work for my clients, as in, like, keeping every alert on all the time so I knew if somebody new wanted something was interfering with me doing good work for the client that I was actually trying to work on. Um, and, and then, of course, there's, you know, family patterns. It was very hard for my family and myself to get in good, um, let's say, dinner time rhythms or bedtime rhythms when every day it was a gamble what time I came home. Um, so what I, part of what I started to do was have a, a limitation that said I would not uh, check my email in the morning until after I read a passage of scripture. Um, and this one's because I felt like I had to. There's no rule that says that. It's because I wanted to. And because you I, knew it would, it was a limitation that would bring freedom. Yes. And, and it wasn't like you didn't have a habit before. You were just exchanging your habit. Very, very important um, to appreciate that. I had a habit. Um, I, I had a way of living. I had limitations. The limitation was this. You must check your phone. You must check your email before, first thing in the morning. Like, that is a severe limitation. <laughs> And uh, but yeah, so, yeah, I started to say, you know, I'm not going to check my email until I read a passage of Scripture. And sometimes that was like 30 seconds in a psalm because I knew there was a big thing going on that day I really needed to check quickly. Most often what happened was it suddenly opened up the morning where I had a, a blanker space to, to pray and, and read a psalm or read a, a, a passage of Scripture you know, maybe for five minutes on good days, maybe a little bit longer. It's often short. It's still very often very short for me. But it's a punctuated ha a habit that now punctuates my day and begun the day very differently. Um, and then, you know, moving on into the day, uh, you know, limiting the amount of alerts that I see while doing work, I think, I think, uh, is actually making me a, a better lawyer because I'm focusing on work and saying that, you know what, it's, it's not unusual that someone's in a meeting and they can't answer for an hour. So why can't I resist answering for an hour while I focus on work? Um, I, I started, another one is that I started saying, I'm gonna pause for 10 minutes every midday and uh, spend 10 minutes in either prayer or, or silence or meditation. And people think, well, how can you stop? You know, but 
Of course you got to. I mean, people eat lunch. People go to the bathroom. People, people have meetings. It's it's, it's a bizarre. Check your fantasy football scores. Yeah, you check. Yeah. You do again. Another habit of limitation. Yes. Like, oh, I got to check ESPN. I got to check CNN. I got to see what's going on. There's all these kinds of like habits that we adopt um, that just aren't necessarily good for us. And uh, adopting the habit of pausing ten minutes mid workday to remember that there are things going on outside of my work, or remembering to either pray for a coworker or a client or an issue. Um, not only was good for my soul, but actually had great effects on work. Mm. It's like the right way to take a break. Mm. And then finally, I'll just give, give you one more. Is, yeah, I, I started to decide that I would turn off my phone for one hour right when I got home to um, so that I could be fully present with my children and my wife. And that one has paid maybe more dividends than any mm. other one. And, and again, you know, it's, it's one of those ones where, like, I, I would get nervous in my job. You know, can I really be without it for an hour? And I quickly found that, you know, most days – you're not that important. Most days people can go an hour without hearing from you. And in the days that you can't, because there, there are times that it's hard, your little communication goes a long way. Like, hey, I'm going home to be with my kids for an hour. I'll be back on this at 8.30 when my kids go to bed. It's actually amazing because it makes us say what we mean. Um, say, like, this is what I'm doing. I say value something. So, yeah, all, those are some examples. And, and, and I think they've actually all made me better at my job. The limitation has brought a freedom to be who I am and the freedom to be a better lawyer. And what you're describing is actually something really ancient. Um, it's something that old uh, monastic communities and a lot of spiritual writers um, have called for over a millennia um, a rule of life. A rule of life just simply means a set of disciplines by which you order one's life. Um, and I think what's really important about what you pointed out is that sometimes Christians are intimidated by the idea of a rule of life or bringing on habits or disciplines or whatever. It sounds restrictive. It sounds legalistic. Yeah. But I think you're pointing out that we all have a rule of life. Um, your rule of life just might be, you know, checking your email first when you get up or checking your fantasy football scores in the middle of the day or, or uh, checking every message and we're feeling like you must respond to it immediately. We yeah. all have a rule of life, but you're saying... Be intentional about your disciplines because these things that you do with your minutes and your hours ultimately shape your, your life. So choose wisely what yep. those disciplines are, yep. right? Mm -hmm. I guess one question for me is, at the same time, the you are trying to practice these disciplines in the midst of a culture that is abiding by very different practices. Yes. Do you ever find those to be in conflict? Have you found your your choices, your habits, the way that you're ordering your time to be in conflict the way that your firm expects you to order your time. <laughs> yeah. And has that created yeah. conflict as a follower of Jesus? Um, yes. I think that's a good follow-up because I don't mean to paint the issue as all rosy. Like you'll, you'll, you'll be a, a better mom and a, a better lawyer. Just, you know, adopt these habits. I mean, sometimes it's really hard and I, and I have gotten in trouble before I've made mistakes. I've turned my phones off at the wrong time. I've, um, I've been too inattentive to friends' emails or something, you know, so, so that people get the impression I'm more just aloof and want to do my own thing rather than intentional with my time. So that happens. Um, I think that you're at, I think it's definitely going to cause conflict. I just think that's, um, for the most part, a good thing. And I think this is really an important part of what it means to consider a rule of life for the contemporary world. Um, which, by the way, I will note, I think you might remember two, two and a half years ago when I showed you, like, look, look, I'm doing some of these habits. I'm trying to put my life back together. You were like, huh, 
looks like you you have a rule of life. And I said, you're like rule of what? What is that? (laughs) (laughs) So any, any idea that like I am an an expert on this or know the history of this, I mean, this is all new to me. This is all a a process that the Lord has graciously brought to me because of my own failure and stumbling, which is such a wonderful example of grace. Um, But so I've come to learn through you and others that that there is an idea of a rule of life. And, and I find that um, extremely compelling now. So it's the idea, as you said, that, um, monasteries or other sp- communities of spiritual formation would order their lives around certain habits. Why? Because they wanted to be attentive to the love of God and neighbor. And that's what I think is really important. So it's, it's easily possible to make two mistakes when you think about this. One is that it's just for your own personal holiness, like a self-help, get your life together. Actually, you don't even need God. Just order your life to have sanity and technology. Um, that There's some truth to that, but it's so much more than that. So much more than that. Uh, it's for our neighbors. It's for the love of God. It's actually all outward. It is not an inward project. It's not about self-improvement as much as it is about what does it mean to take this life that America and our culture that we live in has given us, which is continually turned inward, and turn it outside and say, I want to I live according to limitations that set me free to love God and love neighbor. I think at its best, we're talking about a way of living that lets us be missional right here where we are in America. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the classic picture of the busy person, right, is somebody rushing somewhere with their head buried in their phone. You, you don't see the person falling on the side of the road. You don't see your coworker who needs you. You don't see your child who's calling for you. Mm. This busyness is a deeply spiritual mm. issue. And it's not just that we need help. I did. I did. But but our neighbors, our world needs our attention. Mm. And they'll never get that unless we have some limitations yeah. that actually let us finally turn our eyes up to the world and look out and see who needs us. Yeah. I think what's very powerful about that is that just like anything, it ta- uh, to get really good at something, it takes practice. Um, yeah, right. And we are not good at seeing one another. We're not good at seeing our neighbor. We're certainly not good at seeing God in the ordinary parts of life. And so I think what you're saying is if you do nothing, if you don't, if you're not disciplined, if you don't practice, just like if you don't practice piano or you don't practice soccer, you'll never become good at it. If you don't practice love, Mm -hmm. love of God and neighbor, then not only will you not good at get, get good at it, but you'll just stay really bad at it. You, yeah, um, and so, what I hear you saying is just like we see Jesus ordering his life around love of neighbor and love of his father, we can actually practice it, and we can grow uh, along with the help, obviously, of the Holy Spirit. Yes. In what does it mean to love our neighbor and to yeah. love the Lord? Yeah. yeah. And as you said earlier, I mean. Our whole lives are practiced for something. I think mm-hmm. the imp- one of the important realizations is this is not suddenly living in an, a formative life towards um, for the first time. Like we are being formed. We we have our culture has habits and rhythms and routines and loves that we are being pointed to. Uh, the question is, have we ever thought about whether they're making us lovers of God and neighbor? Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's about turning. Um, these habits that already exist towards the end of loving God and loving neighbor. And I think also you made a really important point about um, being free to do these things. So I have, I have had some people ask, like, isn't this kind of legalistic? I mean, it sounds like, it's, it sounds like legalism. Um, 
And I, I, I see their point. You know, we're worried about putting laws down that aren't necessarily called for uh, or putting additional rules on our life. I, I think that the thing for me that's been really helpful here is that um, there's, a, you know, there's a huge difference for me between this and the idea of justification. Mm. I mean, God has saved me uh, through his grace and his grace alone. These rules and limitations don't save me. But what he saved me from and what is his work alone is he saved me from my own sin, my broken will, where I had no will. I had no ability to do anything except serve myself. And he has raised me from the dead of that. And now that I have the spirit of his own free will and grace, that I have that, I'm actually, again, set free to practice and live according to things that are wonderful. Like now, now I actually can, um, through his grace, live according to a healthy set of habits that will not gain me any favor in the eyes of the Lord because I already have all the favor I need. But now I have such favor that I'm interested like his love has made me interested in loving him back. His love has made me interested in loving a neighbor. And and so it's it's so important not to see this as any way of like gaining favor with God or get your life getting your life back on track. I'll tell you what they do do though, is they continually point me to the grace that saved me in the first place. Hmm. You know. They continually remind me every morning, I'm not gonna be saved by that email. I'm not gonna be saved by that work project. I have been saved by God. So I'd mm. like to talk to him for a minute. That's some, that's some excellent Reformed theology, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> you know, John Calvin talked about the third use of right, the law. Right. Um, prior, as Reformed Christians, we believe that prior to the gospel, prior to grace, we had no free will. We were enslaved to the destructive selfishness of our hearts, and that we couldn't actually choose to order our lives around freedom and health and the gospel. Yeah. But through grace, we've been set free to have a, a will that can cooperate with the Holy Spirit and choose a, an order of life that is free, free and life-giving. So and that is good news. That is beautiful. That's good news. So yeah. my one, I guess my one last question would be, um, what would you recommend uh, to someone who, in our church or someone who's listening, um, who wanted to try this, who wanted to order their life differently? Um, I know we're coming up to Advent. It's yeah. a super busy season. It's not exactly a great time. To try to bring sanity to your life, all of it, it seems like life is only just going faster. Uh, yeah, what, what are some recommendations that yeah, you would make? Well, it's a great advent, um, and the season this December is a great time to start thinking about this because just if you do nothing else, just keep your eyes open and watch. Our our whole culture is about to shift and is shifting into these very interesting, sometimes bizarre rituals. Yep. Um, Black Friday, incessant yeah. holiday parties, spending tons of money um, on things that December 26th we're, we're sad about. Uh, we, we are about to enter into a rhythm of rituals, a, a season of rituals. So it's a great time just to think about, is, is what any of this guy is saying is true? Like, do we actually have these habits and rituals? We do, you know, open your eyes during December. So I actually think it's a really good time to think about it. And as far as resources, um, you know, so I, I, www.thecommonrule.org is where I'm sorting out a lot of these thoughts and working on them. This is your, your website this where is, you're fleshing is, out some of these ideas. Yes, yeah. indeed. Um, it's a fleshing out the ideas of the common rule. And actually, we're, we, I guess that's sort of the royal we, which is silly. I, I with, with, some, I guess with input of my community and people like yourself, um, are we're, uh, putting out an Advent version for people who want to try out living according to some different habits in Advent. There'll be some daily habits, um, rhythms of prayer and scripture reading, and some uh, 
habits of not using your phone while waiting, for example, um, in order to learn how to wait during Advent, because Advent's the season where we wait for the king. Uh, there'll be things like that. There'll be some seasonal habits. But So, yeah, um, if you think I, my, my advice, if you think you want to try something like this, I do think uh, the common rule is a good place to start. It, the idea is sort of take a look at the habits, um, their the habits of limitation and of embrace, and try them for 30 days. And Advent would be a neat, you know, 30 days to try them. Try them, see what it's like um, to live according to a new set of habits, and see if you don't feel like the Lord works or that your life hasn't changed. I think um, in some ways, it's, it's actually amazing. Our, our culture is really willing to do these crazy diets right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I have friends, um, I've, I've even tried them myself, things like the Whole30 diet. Like we're really willing in, in some areas of American culture to experiment with a totally new way of eating. Um, and many people find like, oh, this is, you know, a new way of life for me. And I, I sort of submit the common rule something like that. Like, think about the, the food that your soul it's eats. It's a soul cleanse. It, <laughs> yeah, in a way, it's a habit yeah. cleanse. Like, take them a yeah. lot away, try it, and, and see, see what you learn. Um, I try to live it as a way of life. It's because I want to and I love to, not because I have to. But I've had friends who tried it for a few weeks and been like, yeah, I'm going to do this one. I'm not going to do the other ones because you're crazy. You know, whatever. Ad- Advent would be a neat time to try yeah. it. It starts on December 3rd, and, and the website will have a, a new set of habits and rhythms for Christmas. And to third folks, we'll, we'll make this available. We'll put it on our website and have uh, have this available to our members so that if you do want to do it, you can practice this um, Advent common rule that, that Justin's designed so that we can try this all together. But even if you don't, I mean, like Justin said earlier, it could be just something as simple as trying to institute checking, uh, turning off your phone when you get home for an hour. I mean, that's just a simple practice that can make an enormous difference. So it can begin with something quite small. We would call these, I guess, habits of resistance. Yes. Um, as we're being malformed every day, we're seeking to be um, reformed in a really healthy and beautiful way, mm-hmm. in a way that orders us around love of God and love of neighbor. I'd also make a, a book recommendation um, that I know I know Jamie Smith has really influenced you. Absolutely. Is that right, Justin? Yeah. Um, Jamie Smith has a wonderful little book called You Are What You Love um, that is a distillation of some of his more dense work. Um, but You Are What You Love is a great book where he helps to expose some of the ways that we are malformed every day by the habits um, that we adopt and what it would mean to for the church and our worship, but also in our daily life and our families to practice a new set of habits. So thank you, Justin. Thanks for being here with us today. Thank you for what you've taught me about this and, and the way that you continue to lead us. And we're so grateful that you have listened, and we hope that we may see you here on Sundays, or if not, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, you'll hear from us again in this podcast. Thanks so much.